you, Lord, for just the sweetness of your presence, the goodness of that. We pray that everything that's been working in us, the activity of your spirit in our lives over these moments we've already had together, would just continue as we get ready to pray and bless our children as they head upstairs. We pray that as they go and we bless them that they would have an encounter with you as they have an encounter with each other and with those that are so beautifully teaching them. We speak a blessing over all of our teachers. We speak a blessing over Sarah and her leadership. And we just ask God for something uh, profound to be happening in our kids. We thank you, God, for your generosity toward us and toward our children. And with that, God, we thank you for your generosity toward us. We want to spend a moment here to give into an offering. And I pray uh, today, I want you just to think about an area in your life that is somehow connected to the resources that you have, perhaps your family, if, if you, you're living in a family unit together, different needs, or people, a family member that's not living with you. Perhaps you're looking for an opportunity. Perhaps you're praying that there's a lack, or maybe you're really doing really well financially. And you're asking for wisdom. And how can I or we be more strategic and more generous? And I want you to think about that for a minute. Perhaps you're hoping for a promotion. And I want, you, I want to just ask you a question. Um, I want you to just consider what might that desire be around? Is it simply just to try to break through and get a little bit of relief? Or is it to move you to a new place in God? That God, if, if you were freed up and you were, for instance, to get a promotion, what does that mean in your kingdom pursuit of God and God's desires for your life? So I guess my prayer for us as we receive the offering today is that we would be growing not just not just kind of doing life. Do you ever feel like you're just doing life and you look back and maybe you're at the point in life where there's been a lot of paychecks and you're wondering, wow, that's a lot of paychecks, but what significant has happened other than maybe me buying a car or a house or things like that? How has my life and the resources God has given me made a significant difference in the world? So that's the invitation for us is is the invitation to be generous and to make a difference not only in our own life but in the lives of so many people that have needs so today god as we receive this offering in your name on your behalf we pray for crossroads church and ministries we pray blessing over this family this house god we pray for increase we don't pray just for increase, for increase sake. We pray for increase. We pray for the structural integrity and the purpose that we would be more generous, that we'd be able to handle the overflow that you bring. And I pray for each individual person for that. God, I pray as you bring increase to households, that it would be with integrity and with, with the scaffolding and the structure that's required when blessing overtakes. So we don't just pray for blessing today, God. We pray for blessing with a purpose, that 
that this world will be different somehow, some way, with our giving. So we give in that spirit today, and we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, if you guys want to give in the room, there's baskets up front. You can also go to ccmonline.org. There's a giving tab. You can do that right on your phone if you want. Uh, just go to the giving tab, and uh, there's a breakdown of what you can give to, to there. And now, Lord, we bless our children as they head upstairs. We pray your goodness, your grace, your insight, your wisdom, and your power in their life. We thank you, God. Let them become more and more like you, we pray, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Well, good morning, Crossroads. Just have a few uh, quick announcements for you before we continue our worship this morning. Um, just wanted to let you know, if you're new today, we're so glad that you're here with us. We'd love the opportunity to connect with you. Um, you see on the screen, we have a QR code. If you're so inclined, you can just take a snap of that, and it will uh, lead you to any next steps. Or if you prefer just to do something right in the room, our kiosk is right over here by the light. We'd love to connect with you after service today. We have a free gift for you. Could answer any questions that you might have about Crossroads, but just a chance for us to say hello. Also, wanted to let you know that our food pantry, last week Pastor Scott shared with us about the food pantry and opportunities to help support that with the increase in cost. And um, we just want to be able to do that as a church and continue that uh, service that we provide for our community. So we have, um, so we ran out last week, and so there are more over at the next step. So if you didn't get one of the magnets, if you weren't here, or if you were in the room and we ran out, we have plenty over there. So stop by the next steps afterwards, and you can pick up one of those, and they're pretty self-explanatory. And then just one quick reminder, we're in the middle of the Great Together series, and so we have all kinds of summer great togethers, and those are opportunities for you to connect with one another. You can take a QR code right here to see what's um, available, and this week, uh, you can actually stop in the lobby, too, if you're a paper and pencil kind of person, take a look at what's being offered, but this week, you can go to a jam session, you can do a, a lake night, you can learn uh, how to make cake pops, or you could do pickleball, so that's all this week, so isn't that awesome? So it's many opportunities. So before you leave, make sure you take a look at what's um, offered out there. And so now we're going to hear from Samuel. Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Who's playing pickleball? Is that, is that a thing? It's like a thing, right? Like it's becoming like, I don't even know what pickleball is. Anybody here not know what pickleball is? I want to be in, okay, I want to have some company. I don't know what pickleball is. I should probably come. Yes. Absolutely. So this morning, um, I want to kind of move things along here. Uh, that, that was my icebreaker. Boom, done. Uh, <laughs> the lectionary gives us some texts that um, I think are so interesting. They're fascinating for me. And the text that we're going to be reading today comes out of Genesis. I almost wanted to teach today on re uh, relationship to family because of the book of Genesis, what we see throughout that entire document is so much disruption in the family. There's betrayal among family. There's, there's rejection among family. There's violence to family. And it's just all throughout Genesis that's happening. But I, I landed on relation to self today. The title of my message is The Best of God, The Best of Us. 
And I think that the Lord wants to speak to us today, so I want to kind of dive in really quickly and, and read from Genesis 32. The lectionary gives us Genesis 25, and those two, two parts go together, as well as a section in 27. So we're going to read together. Let's open up uh, the scriptures together to Genesis uh, chapter 32. This is going to be starting at verse 22. And if you have your Bibles with you today or your cell phones and you want to kind of get there, I am still uh, flipping through my pages, which are stiff right now. This Bible has been rained on. <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is a copy I had taken with me in almost anywhere and everywhere, and uh, it got wet. So here we go. Reading from verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, What is your name? And Jacob answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. I've been, I've been wrestling with this message for the last couple of weeks. I've known that I was going to be speaking today. And, and I feel like this message has been preparing me. But I don't mean preparing me for delivering it. I mean preparing me for a, a kind of reflection on the meaning of my own name. My, my name, as you may or may not know, is Samuel. Uh, and Samuel has a meaning of sorts. It, it means in the, in the scriptures, God has heard. You may have found yours at some point. Maybe you were, you know, looking in a name book for, um, for maybe you are ha- going to have children. We often get these books and we look for names for our children, and there's sometimes meanings kind of listed there. Maybe you've looked up yours, or you, you found it on a placard in Hobby Lobby for nine ninety nine. I don't know. <laughs> But that isn't the meaning that I intend when I say that I've been reflecting on the meaning of my name. The meaning I'm after is something you can't capture in a name book. The meaning I'm after is not something you can get on a trinket from your local bookstore. I mean my name. I mean how and who I know myself to be and how others have either helped or harmed that knowing and how that knowing of myself has changed over the years. And a simple way of thinking about this, my, my mother, when I was a, uh, a young child, used to call me Sammy. None of you may call me that, by the way. <laughs> Sammy, Sammy was the name that I, I knew myself as, as a young kid. But from grade school all the way up till even to my, around my 30s, I, I went by the name of Sam, and I knew myself as Sam. And I don't know if it's because I've gotten older or maybe there's something more to it than that. But now I, 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 I hear myself as Samuel. Right? Samuel fits me in a way that it didn't used to. That doesn't mean that I'm no longer my mother's Sammy, right? And even as my mother called me Samuel, Sammy, it didn't mean that I wasn't Samuel. It means that I, I've come to know myself in a different way, in a way that, again, uh, a name book doesn't give me or you. 
It's how people know me and I know myself. I'm, I'm Samuel. Of course, I've always been this, right? And I want to kind of hang on to that idea. And yet there's still a sense in which I keep forgetting my own name. There's a way in which I kind of forget who I am and I cannot remember myself and what it means to be who I am. And when I live from that lack of remembrance, I always regret it. I always invariably regret it. I wonder what your name means to you, how you know yourself, and how or whether that's changed over time, how moments in your life may seem to have caused you to forget yourself. Have you ever felt like you got lost along the way? In Genesis 32, we've come upon a story about a name, the name of Jacob. In the verses we read together, we find Jacob crossing the river Jabbok. This is a river in the modern kingdom of Jordan, which arises in the city of Amman. I have a map of that, actually. I've actually uh, been here in this area of the world in 2017. I flew into Amman and went north from there to Mafrak, Al-Mafrak, over there to the northeast, and, and stayed at the border there as Syrian refugee, refugees were coming across the border and serving and learning from these refugees about their experiences and helping in any way that I could, buying diapers for children or shoes for, for feet. Uh, many of them, even though they were uh, coming across the border and some of them receiving some help from the UN, many of them were not. And even still, they, they just hoped to return home. But as I was there, I got to kind of you know, get to know the, the layout of this area. And you can see pinned on the map there is the Zarka River. It's called Zarka River, but at the time in the in uh, ancient uh, Israel, this was known as the Jabbok. And that river runs north. You can't really see it from here, but I don't know if you can see it from the topographical map that's there. There's a big, dark cut that runs left and right, right? East and west. Do you see that? So as it goes north, it runs straight, straight west, and it ends up cutting from, you can see at the top, Irbid at the top, and Amman in the south. This was ancient Gilead. And so the Jabbok River cuts Gilead right in half. And then it runs over to the Jordan River and is one of the main tributaries for the Jordan River. It's such, it's, it's steep embankments kind of form a natural boundary there and split Gilead in two. Such a poetic river in the story of Jacob, if you think about it. The, the river serves as a kind of literary device as well to talk about the ways that Jacob's life is torn in two. Maybe your life at times has felt torn in half. Or through the years and the mistakes you've made, or the harm you've done, or the harm that's been done to you, that you don't really know yourself in the way you used to. Well, we are today gathered around the scriptures bearing witness to this life-altering story, this, this story-making encounter for Jacob. And maybe by the Lord's will and the Lord's help, we will come face-to-face -face with God, just as Jacob does and testifies but who is this Jacob anyway? At this point in the story, now this is, this is a problem that we have is that we kind of have an awareness, such an awareness that we feel too familiar with the story. We're not actually paying attention to what happens. And I, I wonder if we could pretend like we've never heard this story before. And you're coming to this story at this moment. Do you know who Jacob is? We only know him to be the grandson of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, sorry, the grandson of Abraham through his father Isaac and his mother Rebekah. He's also the husband to Rachel and to Leah, and he's the twin brother of Esau. That's that much we know. Before his birth, even Jacob's life 
is already in turmoil. In the womb of his mother, Rebecca, the twins kind of tussle inside of her. And the Lord spoke to his mother, saying this, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. Let's continue reading for a moment. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, and so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open, the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. And so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. So it's in the birth of the twins that Jacob receives his name. And it's a play on the words for heel grabber, right? Like Isaac and Rebekah are literally just describing stuff that's happening. Esau is red and hairy. Okay, Esau. Uh, he's holding on to his heel. Okay, heel grabber. Like, that's all you know it means. We, we, we have assigned some meanings because we already know some of the story. But again, we're pretending for a moment that we don't know this story, right? If we forget that, we, we can hear that the naming of Jacob here is unclear. Nothing so far suggests whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that Jacob is the heel grabber. And that ambiguity looms over his entire story. Of course, from our vantage point, we already know that Jacob fears his brother because, and he says, I'm afraid he'll come and he'll attack me in Genesis 32. And this is why he sends everything he owns. He's trying to test Esau, right? He's trying to assuage Esau. And we likely already know that Esau is angry at him for stealing his, his birthright, his blessing, by assuming a false identity. But perhaps when we come to our portion of the text here in chapter 32, we may have already decided we know Jacob's name. We've already decided that we know it means he's a deceiver. Forgetting that it's actually the displaced and angry Esau who assigned this meaning. He cries aloud in Genesis 27 saying, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's deceived me these two times. It's Esau that assigns that meaning to his name. Not Jacob, not his mother, not his father, and certainly not God. Initially, we as readers and hearers are only given this name, Yaakov. Do you have that there? Yeah. Isaac and Rebekah call him Yaakov. And it's Esau that adds the extra meaning here where he says, Wa Yaakobini. So the Yaakob is there in the word, but he adds these extra meanings to it that means he supplanted me or he deceived me. I wonder if people in your life have added some meaning to your name. They've added some things that don't belong on you. Kind of the way that Saul decides to put armor upon David and it doesn't fit him. I wonder if we could hear Jacob's name and hear that this doesn't fit him, that it's been given to him and it doesn't belong upon him. While we're at it, let's also remember for a moment that Jacob is favored by his mother and Esau is favored by his father. That the division and the discord of his life are not merely products of his own choices. And we are addicted to thinking that our choices mean more than they do. 
We just are. Remember that you and I enter a world that is already full of brokenness. You didn't choose that. You didn't choose who your family was. You didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose how, where you were born, how you were born. You didn't choose what the income level of your family. You didn't choose any of that stuff. You didn't choose your nationality, your skin color, none of it. And for many of us, we didn't even choose our own names. We already come into a world that is broken. If we say that we are sinners, yes, but we must first say that we've already been sinned against. This is truer. Jacob, like us, enters a fractured world with fractured loves, fractured family, fractured hopes, fractured dreams. And it is only after his mother's worried insistence that the young Jacob should deceive his father and steal Esau's blessing that Jacob finally goes through with it. Jacob doesn't want to do it. Remember, here it is in the text behind me here. He, he, he doesn't want to deceive his father. It's his mother that cajoles him. And eventually, eventually, he grasps, he fails to grasp the fortitude to resist her. But remember, she's the only parent that he feels loves him. Can we just give Jacob a little mercy? That's what I'm asking for. Like, can we just give Jacob a little mercy here? The only parent he feels loves him is cajoling him to deceive the other one. And he resists her at first. But of course, even still, Jacob does put on the false identity of Esau. He does participate in this deception. And thus, he slips down into the shadow of his name. Not what his name means. His name has never meant this pronouncement over him. He slips down into the shadow. Have you ever felt that kind of slipping? That forgetting of who you are? The disappearing into your own shadow? It's interesting the language that we use around moments like that. We say things like, I don't know why that happened. I wasn't really myself back then. I don't recognize that person. And here too, the heel grabber is hidden from himself, attempting to steal the blessing of his heritage. What's probably most tragic about this story is that any of them think that they can do that. <laughs> that God's intention for our lives is somehow a commodity that you can buy and sell and trade somehow. That, that, that Esau's desperation for a meal binds God, right? That, that Rachel's anxious manipulation is somehow going to bind God from doing what God intends to do, right? <laughs> that Jacob's misunderstanding of himself and the slipping into his shadow is somehow going to bind God and keep God from being able to do anything in his life. Or that, he, that Isaac's credulity, his, his gullibility, is somehow a binding for God, that God isn't capable of doing the impossible. What would be deeply, as deeply tragic, tragic as believing all of that would be for Jacob to come to bear the name of Yahweh without the peace and the strength of being able to bear his own name. I want to say that again. It would be equally as tragic in believing all of that for Jacob to come to bear the name of Yahweh and not have the peace and strength of bearing his own name. What a terrible tale that would be. To come to God's intention for his life but lose himself. How could a loving God participate in such a mockery of love? God isn't interested in using Jacob to make his name known. God is interested in, in Jacob to be with him and for him. God isn't interested in using you 
God is overjoyed to be yours and for you to be his. God is, a, is overjoyed about you being you, you as you truly are. But now, last we come to our portion of the story, Jacob has sent everyone ahead. He's trying to get Esau to forgive him and to, to, to not be angry. And now the text tells us that he's left alone in the night by the river Jabbok. It's at this moment in his dark isolation that Jacob is attacked by a man. A man. Why does the text tell us the story this way? Like, pay attention, it doesn't say that God attacked him. It tells you that he's alone and suddenly there's a man who attacks him. And just who is this man who ambushes Jacob in the thick of his darkness, at the steep embankments of his tattered story? And why does the attacker evade giving his own name as they struggle? Why does the attacker inquire of Jacob's name? If he doesn't know who Jacob is, why does he attack him? (laughs) And if he already does know who Jacob is, why does he ask him his name? And if Jacob doesn't know who it is that he's wrestling with, why does he hold on? Why does he insist on a blessing? But it's through their struggle that we come to see it's precisely for Jacob and for his name that this one comes. Here, Jacob wrestles beyond all vision, not just in preparation to return to his homeland or to his estranged brother. This is a struggle for Jacob to return to himself. Remember that it's by masquerading that Jacob has come to this place. And so this veiled assailant is here wrestling with Jacob to give Jacob the chance to fight for himself. To finally take for himself as himself what God has already given him. To finally be a true heel grabber. To grab hold of the heel of God and not let go. The man, then, is bested by Jacob, though even with just a slight touch, he's able to wound Jacob's hip. In the aftermath, Jacob is the one that says, I've come face to face with God and has promised to be known as Israel. Now, in this point of the story, what we can be mistaken to think is that God simply wants to give Jacob a new name, a name that erases his past, a name that forgets who he is, And we are tempted to think that that's what God wants for us. A name that gives us an out for our foolishness that doesn't actually make us wise. A name that releases us from our burden but doesn't ever make us strong. A name that gives us a shout but doesn't ever bring us to prayer. But God is not giving easy outs from us becoming true or becoming wise or becoming as he is. Strikingly, if we read carefully, the name Jacob is never lost in his naming as Israel. Again, we might be too familiar with this text, but look at it. After it says, your name will no longer be Jacob, what the text actually does is keeps calling him Jacob. Your name will be Israel, and then it says, Jacob said, please tell me your name. And later, Jacob called the place Peniel. There's a difference between what the scriptures say and what they are intending to teach us. And we must become the people who make the scriptures our home and attend to them wisely, that we become better readers and better handlers of the text. It matters deeply to how we read our own lives and how we handle each other. 
But I stress that the text continues to call him Jacob because Jacob, as Jacob truly is, God will never leave nor forsake. That's why the text holds his name. God will never leave or forsake Jacob. And now, neither deceiving nor fleeing. All throughout Genesis, Jacob is is constantly running away from his problems. And so here now, he is no longer fleeing, and he's no longer being deceptive. He wrestles with God in the night so that he can know his name in peace, so that he can cross the Jabbok, reconcile with his estranged brother, and live into his story, live into his name. God has come to Jacob for Jacob. And just the same God will come to us to be with us and for us. God will do this in ways that can seem against us, to wrestle with us in the night for our true selves. Just as Jacob and those around him are unsure about or misapprehend the meaning of his name, God will come to us in our confusion, in our forgetfulness, in our slipping, in our disappearing acts. Seen or unseen, he will confront us with the truth of our calling to be human as he is. Who we are and how we live and how we make meaning of our stories and how we treat our brother and how we treat our sister, they matter to God because it matters for the life that we live in God and with our neighbors, the kind of people that we are. We too must be caught in the middle of our night of turmoil and be reminded of our names to come to know ourselves as more. Because we are not who we fear we are. We are not who our mothers say we are. We are not who our fathers say we are. We are not who our sisters, our brothers, our friends, or our foes say. But we can only learn this by contending for it. We can only contend for it when we are forced to face ourselves. To face God and fight even God for what God says is rightfully ours. But why would I fight God? You probably ask yourself, why would I fight God? Because God comes to us without beauty, Isaiah tells us. Without any reason that we would desire him. We forget this so often. Like you're going you're gonna to want to fight God because God, God is going to come to you in a way that you don't desire him. Because life is going to kick you in the teeth. Or because someone else you love is going to get kicked in the teeth. And you're going to want to fight God because God is going to disappoint you. Because God isn't going to live up to your expectations or mine. Because God is a living and a holy God. God isn't going to meet your expectations. Because why would God settle for anything less than above all you can ask or think. All you can hope for or all you could pray for. So you're going to be asking and the answer is going to be no. Not because God's holding back from you but because what you're asking for would hold you back from yourself. We all too easily easily believe that God will come to us and we will want him, as if our wants aren't in need of healing. And it's that one, the one who comes without beauty, undesirable to us, who makes it possible for us to fight him in the shadow of our names, to come to know ourselves as more than conquerors, to know ourselves as peacemakers and as the righteousness of God, it's then that we start to see how without beauty, he is truly lovely, truly wonderful in the beauty of his holiness. You see, it's precisely in Jacob struggling with God, coming into his own strength that God prevails, which is what the name Israel suggests. The name Israel, God prevails. 
But it's in the story that Jacob comes into his strength that God prevails. In a sense, God isn't the hero in this story. So many times, I, I, as I'm going through seminary, many of my, many of my classes, they, they talk to us about the interpretation of Scripture. And one of the points that was often said to us, and it, it, it was uh, frustrating, is that they wanted us to always come to, in preparing a sermon, to tell the story of how God was the hero. Keep God as the hero in the story, you know? But God isn't the hero in the story. Jacob is. One of the many issues we struggle with in our imaginings of God is that we should always keep God as the hero. Maybe we suppose this is how we'll ward off the dangers of our ego. We perhaps imagine at the end of the day that in order to keep God high on the totem pole, we have to keep ourselves low. That in doing so, we might stave off our shadow. But what if thinking this way, that we have to keep ourselves low, is what's leading us to live down into the shadow of our being? Who told you that God was competing with you? And that he had to win? Instead, what we see uniquely of God in this story is a God who is bested by Jacob, a God without ego, a God without the need to win. And because God does not need to win or need anything at all, God can be pure gift to Jacob. God prevails by coming after Jacob's worst, Jacob's shadow, and struggling with him there to show him that he is more than a conqueror. God is defeated by Jacob to show Jacob that in his every loss, God is with him, holding him up. To be made like God, then, is not to be ashamed of our weaknesses, but to see that God's weakness is our strength. And because God lets us get the best of him, he is precisely the one who can give us the best of ourselves. Because God lets us get the best of him, he is precisely the one who can give us the best of ourselves. So what is at the heart of this message for us today? Get ready. God's coming. He's coming to catch you alone. But of course, you're never really alone, are you? No, there are two nations at war in you. They're in your womb, struggling. You are pregnant with what is true and what is false of you. And God is coming for the you that's been hidden. The you he can only encounter in the darkness. The you that you're too ashamed of to bring into the light. He will come in your night seemingly as your enemy to touch your life in ways that will leave you forever changed. It's going to feel like a limp. But you'll be finally walking in your story as your own self, called by your true name. He is the vulnerable God who makes all things from his divine helplessness. At his mother's breast, lying dead in a tomb, tucked away from all sight, abandoned by everyone. He makes healing for us by his wounds. He makes his death our life so that in his darkness, he is our light. In this way, his victory can be only ever for us. And so we can limp as victors in his victory. What this means for us in following Jesus is to also come face to face with the shadow of our stories. Be warned. 
we will not be given shortcuts to becoming the people that God is making us to become. We would not be strong in the ways we need to be if he did. It will only be in the struggle with God that we can come to know ourselves as God sees us. For in our weakness, he is strong. To come to follow Jesus is to come to ourselves, to live and walk in the truth. And the truth, the truth which God intends for you and me, which we cannot know otherwise but to be wounded by the wounded one, is to best God and to limp away as the conquerors he calls us in his unnameable grace. But there's more. This victory that we're given is nothing if it isn't also good news for our neighbors. Just as Jacob reconciles with Esau and the pain that he has left in his wake, and Esau is led to true repentance for his foolishness, we too will be led by the Spirit to wrestle for our own reconciliations. As those who have been betrayed and have betrayed, as those who have been both deceived and been deceived, or have deceived and been deceived, sorry. We've both wounded others and been wounded by others. We'll be led into the depths of our stories to be touched by Jesus so that we can bear his wounds. After all, the rest of that passage in Isaiah that we read a moment ago tells us that it's by his stripes that we're healed. And just so, we become wounded healers as he is. As Christ happens in us, healing our fractured stories, reminding us of our true name, we will be able to make peace with one another. We will bless and break the bread. We'll receive and pour out the cup of blessing and healing for our neighbors. We will offer grace and receive grace upon grace upon grace. Amen. Let's stand together. As we sing and make our way back into our week, um, we wanted to give some of you a practice if you needed it. And uh, there's a beautiful passage in Revelation that says that God will write your name on a white stone. And we have these baskets of white stones that will be brought up on the platform for anyone who would like to get one. And wonder what your new name is. So I think many of us realize that um, we've been misnamed by people, too. And that there might be an invitation to write the name down that God calls you. Or that you might even want to say to God, God, would you call me this name? Because it's a relationship. It's not God imposing something on you, right? You can choose to say, God, would you? You know, Scott calls me Belinda sometimes, Calcaterra other times. Uh, multiple names, right, Sean and Kathleen? They've heard them all over the years. And, um, and you know, they're, they're always appropriate for the moment. He'll say, hey, Belinda. Okay. And, um, but there are, there's, there are names that nobody knows that Scott calls me, right? That's nobody's business but mine that are really sweet. But one time he called me Veruca. It was the last time he ever called me Veruca. But I got the point. 
wonder what names you're unwilling to be called and what name you desire to hear from God. So some of you might want to participate in this, others maybe not. We'll have all the baskets up here, please, from these two spots if someone could bring up the baskets, that would be awesome. And, um, and so you can just come up and, you know, grab a pen and a rock and say, here is the name that helps me see myself truly. Not the shadow of myself. Thank you for that, Samuel, slipping down into the shadow of yourself. But the name that you know you are beloved. And again, you may want to change your name today. And just say, God, here's the name I need to hear. And so, God, we open this practice up to you as a way for us to name something true. Either you say the name and we're able to write it, or we write the name we've been longing to hear. And would you bless us with an open relationship here that there is courage to say, oh, that's my name. And even if it's just the name we can come to right now, we know there might be something deeper still as we leave and, and meditate on the message. Would you grace us with the voice of love?
Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day, for your word, and for the word that you're speaking into our hearts today. Lord, I bless all that are gathered here that are listening online and present in the room. God, we bless them. We pray that your blessing would fall upon us, your blessing that we can't trade, we can't buy, we can't sell, we can't change. God, you're going to be God, and you're going to be good to us. And so I speak that blessing. God is going to be God. God is going to be good over every heart and every mind. Settle that in our hearts, Jesus. Settle that in our spirits today, God, as we go out and we go forth to be peace, 
to bring love, to bring light and hope to this world. In your name we pray it.